Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. North Carolina has witnessed a spate of glowing and upbeat news reports and commentaries in recent days after Republican legislative leaders announced that they had reached an agreement to expand the state's Medicaid program. Multiple local and national outlets describe the state as, after more than a decade of delay, now on the glide path to providing access to health care for 600,000-plus uninsured people of modest income. But as is so often the case with legislation, the devil is in the details. And when it comes to Medicaid expansion, there are many things that remain unclear and unresolved. Fortunately, one person monitoring this situation closely is my colleague NC Policy Watch investigative reporter Lynn Bonner. And earlier this week, I caught up with Lynn to get the latest on Medicaid expansion and how it relates to the broader relationship between GOP lawmakers and the state's Democratic governor, Roy Cooper. Well, Lynn Bonner, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Thanks for having me. So one of the big stories at the General Assembly in recent days was the announcement from uh, Senate President Phil Berger and House Speaker Tim Moore that they'd reached an agreement on a, at long last, allowing North Carolina to uh, expand Medicaid. Before we talk about details, can you remind our listeners why the GOP has blocked this step for more than a decade and maybe why they finally come around? Yeah, this is a big deal. As you said, Medicaid expansion is allowing people, most of them adults under age 65 who are not disabled and don't have dependent children to enroll in health insurance. Medicaid expansion allows uh, people who make you know up to 130% of the federal poverty level to enroll in Medicaid. And these folks are people who make too much money to enroll in standard Medicaid and too little to qualify for subsidized insurance through the affordable care marketplace, insurance marketplace. And I should say here also that it is very, very hard for a parent, even with children at home, to qualify for Medicaid because those folks have to be very, very low income. I mean, almost amazingly low income. So it'll cover adults about 600,000 is the current estimate. So state Republicans have been blocking this for a long, long time. I mean, even as, you know, the prospect of Medicaid expansion came to be, they passed a bill, and this was, you know, when Governor McCrory was in office, passed a bill saying, you can't expand Medicaid unless we say it's okay. And Republicans have been against it for years and years and years. Just really, you know, every time Democrats brought it up, they would shut it down. And this has been, you know, one of Governor Roy Cooper's goals, you know, even before he came to office. So last year, kind of an astonishing turn, Senate leader Phil Berger said, you know, I want this now. And one of his reasons was that all of the challenges, the court challenges, political challenges in Washington, he said, well, it's obvious that this is going to stick around. So let's do it. And it was interesting because as he was debating this on the floor, he sort of reiterated some of the things that people who have been calling this for this for years and years and years were talking about, you know, that 
people work and they still don't have insurance and, you know, it'll help families. And it was just kind of an astonishing turnaround. So <laughs> he said, he said, yeah, let's do it. Senate passed a bill that included expansion, but also some other things is something kind of complicated, sort of significantly a weakening certificate of need, the certificate of need law, which requires medical healthcare companies to get state permission if they want to expand or offer new services or buy significant equipment. Another piece called the SAVE Act, which would free up nurses with advanced degrees from having to get oversight from physicians to treat patients. So that went over to the house last year. The house wasn't going for it. So everything kind of stalled out for a long time until the house passed another bill just last month. And the Senate leaders announced last week that they had reached an agreement with expansion and some pieces of uh, the Certificate of Need Act that Senate Republicans really wanted. So now this seems to be on roller skates, just going through, you know, without too much debate. One of the tricks of this is, though, that in the bill, as it is written now with the Senate pieces in it, is that there is a condition that the Medicaid expansion portion is void unless there is a budget in place by the end of the fiscal year, June 30th. Now, Republicans come into the legislative session with a much strengthened hand because there is a veto-proof majority in the Senate and Republicans are one vote short of that in the House. So, you know, Cooper has been able to, you know, veto things and have his vetoes upheld for the past four years. But Mm -hmm. now that strength is significantly eroded. So, and there's always been this issue of, you know, putting policies in the budget. And this yeah. is something that even last year they were wrangling over. There was a lot of policy in the budget about the governor's emergency powers right. and who, you know, the attorney general can sue and, right. and lots, lots of other things. So when Democrats brought this up about, you know, this policy stuff budget, one of the uh, Senate budget writers said, you know, we've been doing this for years and that's just what we do. I'm expecting there's going to be a lot of policy that maybe Cooper doesn't like in this budget that that says, okay, well, if you want Medicaid expansion, we're getting this budget. Yeah. So the exciting part is it looks like, or at least superficially, it looks like hundreds of thousands of people get, get access to health insurance. But this agreement, this big landmark agreement that's been worked out, the governor really wasn't a part of it. And it presumes that he will approve a budget, which is pretty really hasn't happened a lot, certainly hasn't happened by June 30th during his tenure in office, or or that I guess he would veto a budget and it would be overridden. Or so that it, he would let it become law without his signature. Right, I mean, right. there is that option too, that if they get it to him soon enough, that there would be things in there that he hates, but wants Medicaid expansion so much that he just lets it ride and it just lets the budget become law without it, without the signature. I mean, there, there are lots of options. I mean, there are so many, you know, ways to play this out. And I think when the budget comes out and as the budget passes, this is going to be interesting to watch because there are just so many things that could happen at this point. Yeah. As a practical matter though, it is likely to condition this, this number one 
top priority that Cooper has always championed since before he was even governor. So, okay, you can have it, but you're going to have to swallow an awful lot of other stuff in all likelihood. And that makes for some difficult political calculations for the governor and uh, right. for the Democrats in general, right? Yeah. We're talking with Lynn Bonner, who is the investigative reporter at NC Policy Watch, my colleague, about Medicaid expansion. And we've been talking about the relationship between the governor and the General Assembly over Medicaid expansion. There's a lot of other issues where the governor and the legislature are sort of butting heads these days. The governor gave a state of the state speech this week. but You wrote a story about a lot of the vetoes that he's issued in past years are the subject of legislation once again in 2023 with uh, the the idea perhaps of uh, overcoming those vetoes that he's issued previously, right? There are a lot of bills moving, you know, early in the session that are identical to bills that he's vetoed. Some of these bills he's vetoed more than once. But as I mentioned, you know, Republicans come in with a strengthened hand and some of the bills clearly, if he vetoes them again, it looks like there are enough votes for an override. I believe one of them was the bill that would increase penalties for rioting. And there's a bill about charter schools and religious schools that people can carry firearms into those places if they double at places of worship. He's vetoed that in the past, and that might be veto-proof this year. And there are lots of other things moving that where vetoes have been upheld in the past, or the legislature hasn't even tried to override the vetoes that might be going through this year. There is this occasional phenomenon of members voting for legislation when it passes, but then when the time comes to actually override a gubernatorial veto, Democratic members maybe think, well, you know, maybe I'll stick with the governor when push comes to shove. I showed the, the parties who were interested. I had some support for their idea, but maybe I'm not willing to go to that extent. That's going to be a tough nut to crack now because, as you say, the margins are so close and it, the governor's right. really got to hold every single vote, right? Right. And with some of these bills, there are Democrats who are sponsors. So that also changes the calculus on who's going to be willing to say, well, I'm going to stick with the governor on this one, because then they would be essentially voting against their own bills. We're talking with Lynn Bonner of NC Policy Watch, kind of coming to the end of our time. The governor gave his State of the State speech this past week, interrupted by applause quite a bit. He, he kept it, it seemed focused on a couple of issues, which was Medicaid and, and education funding. Does the polite applause belie the fact that it's unlikely that he's going to get his, exactly his way? Or what, what was your take on the outcome of that speech and the reaction he got? As with the State of the Union addresses, um, The party that the governor represents was applauding heartily, while Republicans I saw quite a few times just sitting on their hands. So I think a lot of the applause that you heard was from Democrats. But he talked about fully funding Leandro, which he's talked about before, but Republicans aren't going for that. He said no more corporate tax cuts. But the corporate tax cuts are kind of built into the budget at this point, and they're set to get to zero. Um, the corporate tax grade is set to go to zero by the end of, the, of this decade. Yeah, but he did have a, a huge emphasis on education and education as you know, the foundation of the state's prosperity. You know, how much of this the Republicans go for? I'm guessing not much. As we know, 
over the years, governor's budgets, and we're expecting a, a budget from Cooper pretty soon, they're just kind of the governor's preferred priorities. But legislatures are free to ignore that, and they do. And it depends on how much leverage a governor has in getting a legislature to listen to his or her priorities. And yeah, I think we can expect the legislature's budget to look very much different from Cooper's. One thing we know is that uh, Lynn Bonner will be following it closely. Lynn is a veteran investigative reporter, writes for us here at NC Policy Watch. You can read her reports at ncpolicywatch.com. Lynn, thanks so much for all you do. And uh, we'll check in again later this spring to see how it's going. Yeah, thanks a lot, Rob. Coming up next, a look at some sobering news about North Carolina's performance in protecting the health and well-being of the state's children. Don't go away. <laughs> 